Thank you, Sandy. The children may go to Children's Church now. As they do, if you'll find Matthew chapter 13 in your Bibles or in a pew Bible, uh, the scripture will not be on PowerPoint today. I'd love for you just to look into your Bibles and listen to it read. But before we do, would you pray with me once more and ask for God to bless this time and speak to us through his word? Let's bow and pray. Father, please help me now to serve your people well, to speak clearly and plainly the truth of your word. Holy Spirit, please reveal your truth to us. Lead us into what is true. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive it. Lord, may we be changed. May we understand the kingdom more clearly and be better citizens because of it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Since it is 4th of July week, I've been thinking a lot about country, and I'm sure you have as well. And I think it would be appropriate this morning for us to go to Jesus and sit at his feet and listen to some things that he said about the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know we don't think in kingdom terms very often. But I think if we will go and listen to what Jesus has to say about this, it will make us better Christians and thereby better Americans. I always like to say we're not better Christians because we're Americans, but because we're Christians, we're better Americans. I think I usually say it better than that, though. Did that make sense to you? You know what I mean. So we're going to go to Jesus and hear something that he had to say about the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Although I don't think that we think in kingdom terms very often. Many people think that Christianity is a matter of church attendance and moral codes. uh, That it's a lifestyle of nice rather than mean and clean rather than dirty and religious rather than secular. But all that, if that is your Christianity, it is a cheap, cheap counterfeit of the real thing. The, The epic kingdom that God is building through Jesus Christ. So I'm excited to to hear what God has to say about this. And I want want to share with you a little sampling of some things that God says in his word about the kingdom and about Jesus as our king. So listen to Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. This is prophecy about Jesus. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, You remember this passage from Christmas? A son is given and the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice And with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Throughout all of their history, Israel had these promises dropped into their their psyches from prophets that there is a coming king, a Messiah, a Savior who will free your people from all oppression and, and finally lead them well. He will be the perfect king. So they were looking for a governmental leader, which is exactly what Jesus is. Does anybody remember? You don't have to actually say it. 
But do you remember what Jesus' first act of public ministry was? Some of you might be thinking about when he turned water into wine. That was his first miracle. His first act of public ministry was a one-sentence sermon. Some of you wish I would preach a one-sentence sermon just once. It's a one-sentence sermon. At least that's all that we have recorded. Matthew four seventeen. after he was tempted in the wilderness and after he was baptized, he came back and he preached this one-sentence sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he is here to usher in a kingdom. But it's a kingdom and a government that's on a deeper plane than what Israel was hoping for. They thought he was going to come and he was going to destroy all their oppressors and lead them to an earthly government of triumph. And that's not at all what he did. But he did come to usher in a kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It would be a process throughout the rest of human history. That's why Jesus taught us to pray for this. Jesus taught us to pray for the kingdom to come, for the kingdom to be fully ushered in. Remember in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what God is about is establishing a kingdom of people who follow him as king. That's, that's one thing that Lord means. Now, sometimes I think I can get a little too esoteric. I can get a little... Uh, removed from from things that feel practically beneficial, and maybe all this talk about kingdom, your start, your eyes are starting to glaze over. You're starting to think about lunch. You don't feel, you know, we live in a democracy, so kingdom talk is foreign to us. You know, we we fled a kingdom. Our forefathers left a monarchy to to come and establish something different because it went so badly. That's because you know, human kings are imperfect. You know, the best form of government actually isn't a democracy. It would be a dictatorship if the dictator was the perfect, most sacrificial, most loving, most wise, most all-knowing, all-powerful Jesus Christ. That would be, if Jesus was here, we should get rid of democracy and say, okay, we're going back to a monarchy. King Jesus is who is, we're just going to follow him. We'll just do what he says. You know, but we don't have anyone like that. So I like democracy. I'm not saying let's go back and have a king uh, like we used to. But in case this all seems far removed from day-to-day life, you need practical stuff. Do you remember what Jesus says is the antidote to anxiety? Remember in Matthew chapter 6? All the people are there. They were anxious just like we're anxious now. They didn't have prescription medications to curb the, the effects of it like we do, and they were coming to Jesus, and Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and your life. Don't worry about those things. The people who don't know God worry about those things. You, instead of worrying, what did he tell us to do? Seek first the kingdom. Seek the kingdom, and all that stuff will be added to you. So some of you are maybe dealing with anxieties this week. This is helpful to you. Seek the kingdom. Seek his rule in your life. Seek to expand the kingdom so that others acknowledge him as the one true king. Give him their allegiance. 
so that others are welcomed into citizenship, into the kingdom. So one more scripture to share with you before we get to our main text. The, the big finale of all of this is going to be Jesus returning. Listen to how that's described in Revelation 19, 11 through 16. John is given this vision of what's to come when Jesus returns. And here's what he saw. Then I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. And what is that name? King of kings and Lord of lords. I don't know how you picture Jesus. When he returns, it's not going to look like Mr. Rogers coming home and gently changing his shoes and his sweater. When he returns, it will look like a a bloodied, majestic, conquering king on a white horse surrounded by armies of angels. Saying that Christianity is about church attendance and morality is like saying America is all about driving cars and speaking English. Well, yeah, those are things that we do in America, but America is about way more than just driving cars and speaking English. America is about one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. Yeah, we go to church and, and yes, we morally, we do grow to look more like Christ, but that's just things that we do. Christianity is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than nice instead of mean and clean instead of dirty and religious instead of secular. Christianity is about one nation drawn from many nations into an eternal kingdom. It's about Jesus, the ultimate king, building the ultimate kingdom by pardoning rebel sinners from all nations, granting them full citizenship, Posting them in this hostile world as his royal ambassadors. As Christians, we are more than churchgoers and nice folks. We are men and women of the one true king. Citizens of the one true kingdom. So Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom. But a lot of mystery still remains about what this kingdom is. Because you can't, you can't see the walls of this kingdom. You can't see the towers of some castle. You can't see Jesus. You can't see a throne. It's invisible to us. So the idea of this as a kingdom kind of eludes us a little bit. 
I don't think we're ever going to fully understand it and grasp it until the king returns and consummates it and, and finishes it. I think it's supposed to remain mysterious. I don't think our little brains can handle it. One reason I think that is because Jesus mainly taught about the kingdom in parables. Parables are short little stories that explain big truths. And he purposefully left a lot of his parables kind of ambiguous. He didn't, he explained some of them in scripture, but not all of them. Just in Matthew 13, we're going to look at one parable, but in Matthew 13, he says, parables begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. He'll tell us sort of what it's like, but he never sits down and says, okay, the kingdom is this, 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 this is exactly what it is. He just tells us what it's like. So in Matthew 13, he says, it's like a man sowing seed, good seed in a field. He says, it's like a mustard seed. He says, it's like a woman hiding leaven in flour. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant finding a valuable pearl. It's like a net containing both good and bad fish that have to be sorted out. We can, we can get around and feel what the kingdom of heaven is, is like now and when it's fully established. And since Jesus didn't attempt to clearly define it, I'm not going to attempt to clearly define it. We're just going to look at one such parable. Yes, all of that was introductory. We're going to look at Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32. It's short, it's simple. It'll help us to understand the kingdom and thereby help us to be better citizens of the kingdom. Let's read together Matthew 13, verses 31 through 32. He, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Have you heard that parable before? Yeah. The mustard seed, it was the smallest seed that his listeners then would have been familiar with. It was a tiny little seed. And it was well known for being a tiny seed that produced big results. It was a proverbial thing. That, it was almost like a common saying, small as a mustard seed. It would grow into these 8 to 12 foot tall mustard plants or trees that were big enough for many birds to build nests in it. Even though it was just this tiny little itty bitty speck of a, a grain of a seed. You can see his point here is very plain. The kingdom of heaven, the seeds of it are tiny, but it grows massive. Now you can see the truth of what he's saying if you look back at what God's already done to establish the kingdom. You know, King Jesus, the one we just read about, who's going to return in a bloody robe, sword, victorious on a white horse, angel armies behind him. How did he come? How was that seed planted? He didn't come down a big royal red carpet, trumpets blaring. He came as a fetus in the womb of a teenage girl in a small rural town. At one point, Jesus 
was what people now refer to as just a mass of tissue, subhuman. That's the seed that became Jesus Christ, our our glorious king. His public ministry, like I said, it, it didn't start with a huge marketing campaign and billboards. and It started with that single sentence sermon, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus began with his followers, it was just 12 ordinary guys, blue-collar guys. It wasn't the proud and the plentiful. When he gave them the Great Commission, they were not sitting on a fleet of ships ready to sail with big Christian flags flapping above them. They were, he was sitting with some stupefied disciples over breakfast. So small. When the church began, it didn't begin with a big orchestrated launch, multiple sites. It began with about 120 people. That's what it would look like if all of our people came at the same time. It began with about 120 folks in a prayer meeting. What can a prayer meeting accomplish? Well, that little seed is what grew up into the great big mustard tree plant of the church around the globe now. Kingdom seeds, kingdom seeds are not big. Kingdom seeds are not small. Kingdom seeds are remarkably small. That, that phrase, that figure of speech, small like a mustard seed, means it's remarkably small. Like that is what is remarkable about it. It's small. When you look at a kingdom seed, that's what you notice. That seems small. especially in comparison to the end result of them. So this means a couple of things. I'll I'll share with you three things that this means. It means more than that, but I'll share with you three quick things. This means that kingdom endeavors are not large. They don't start large. Kingdom endeavors do not start large. There's a, you may not know this, but within church leadership, you read the books and you listen to the podcasts or you go to the conferences Christian leaders love to launch things. They love to launch a new church plant. They love to launch a new program. They love to launch a new website or a new book or a new endeavor. We want to launch it. We want it to be like a missile. Let's launch it. But kingdom endeavors endeavors are not massive launches. They're tiny little seeds that are remarkably small. It's a sermon. It's a conversation, it's a meal with someone, it's a prayer meeting. You know, this morning, our prayer meeting started at 9.30. Do you know how many were in that prayer meeting? Two. Me and Richard Lowry. Was I all discouraged? Well, no, this is too small. Well, no, because I've been studying this all week, and I know that through something that seems so small, surely a successful prayer meeting would be hundreds of people. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is a seed to something. Me and Richard, just two guys, simply praying for us as a church, for our community. So number one, kingdom endeavors do not start large. Number two, kingdom endeavors will often feel too small. 
since this is the DNA, the kingdom of heaven is like this, I believe that we can extrapolate from that that kingdom endeavors, real, true kingdom of heaven endeavors, will often feel way too small. What will be remarkable about them is not how big and glorious they are, but how small they seem, yet what a powerful result they seem to bring about. Meredith and I were talking this week about sort of the state of decay and danger around us. Recent events have awakened us to just how deeply many people are struggling with very dark, difficult, devastating things. And other events have awakened us to just how dangerous this everyday life is. I mean, David and I can't even kayak from a little island into a cove without there being very real danger. A matter of inches, and it could have been death. And other things this week have reminded us that this, this is no joke. This, people die, and, and people are being drugged down into this, the darkest, murkiest of, of sinfulness. And what do we do? And we talk, and we feel so small to even... What can we do? And you can get paralyzed by it. And you can feel like, well, can't really do anything. I'm just Matt Broadway. I'm just a guy. You're just a gal. But I think this teaching about the kingdom of heaven and this DNA of small seeds producing giant yields, I think that should encourage us Encourage us to to move toward the seemingly too small endeavors of the kingdom. Pray the tiny prayer. When the massive need comes into your consciousness, you know, that person you love who's just so tangled up in sin, pray the tiny prayer. God, help them. Go have the tiny conversation. Hey, you know, I was praying for you this week. I know that might be awkward to hear somebody say, but, you know, I believe the stuff about Jesus and you came to mind, so I was praying for you or whatever it looks like. It may be awkward, it may be small, it may be brief. It may be the tiny little seed that God will use to create a giant kingdom tree in a person's life, in a neighborhood, in a community. And that's exciting. It's it's discouraging to think that we need to start a program that saves everybody. But it's exciting to think that God may just use my tiny little steps of obedience to expand his kingdom in massive ways. So number one, kingdom endeavors do not start large. Number two, kingdom endeavors will often feel way too small. And finally, number three, kingdom endeavors will grow. Kingdom seeds will grow. Now, granted, a couple of weeks ago, we read Jesus' parable of the soils. You know, the seeds fall all over, and not all the soils are equally fertile. They're not all going to take that seed and grow, but... But where those seeds do take good root and grow and grow up past the thorns, it will grow. Okay, we, we don't have to simulate kingdom growth. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to simulate kingdom growth. Now, I meant, David, to ask you about this before I shared it as an illustration to make sure I got my facts straight. But David, a while back, was walking with his grandkids, my kids, and I think also Wesley's kids. And I don't know, you found an acorn or something, and they wanted to plant it. And so they planted this little acorn or this little seed and went on. And then 
later, the next time they were all there, they wanted to go see if it had grown anything. And David had gone out before and put a big limb in the ground where that seed was. So it looked like, oh man, it's growing. But it wasn't really. That thing propped up there wasn't really from that seed. Now, as a church, how often are we tempted to go do that? You know, we planted these seeds, but it just doesn't seem like anything's happening. Let's go prop something up there so it'll look like there's some life here, so it'll look like there's some vibrancy here, so it'll look like we've built something because we don't want to look foolish. You know, this is one reason that I'm very skeptical of the big churches. And you say, well, that's just because you can't grow a big church. Well, maybe. Back down a little bit. Hear me out. Yeah, I wonder sometimes if these big things that are clearly hugely orchestrated by human hands and human design efforts, marketing efforts, fundraising efforts, I wonder sometimes if they're like the, that, you know, that really tall tree that you see going down 485 toward Carowinds on the right? How'd that tree get so big? And then you get a little closer, you're like, wait a minute, that tree's made out of metal. And somebody came and dressed it up thinking that we're all idiots, apparently. I wonder sometimes about big human Christian endeavors that tower above all the little kingdom work that that we know God does, all the little conversations, all the little subtleties of how the kingdom grows, like like a bit of leaven and flour. I wonder, is that really a tree? Or is that some man-made material dressed up like a tree? And I don't know. But you should know that about me as your pastor. I, I was telling Richard this morning, you know, I have no capabilities in myself to lean towards the big mega church style of big. And I'm not saying it's always bad. I'm still working this out, but I have suspicions of it because I see how small God likes to do it. Because you see, when these small kingdom seeds grow, there is no one man that you can point to and be like, that guy is awesome, except for Jesus Christ. There, there, there would be no one big church that like, well, that church is the church that did it. It would be, well, this gospel must be true because, you know, this Christianity thing's growing, spreading, and it's growing everywhere. But anyway, the main point being, kingdom endeavors, when they take root, they will grow. It will happen. And there, there are kingdom growing things happening among us. I don't want you to, to ever get discouraged you know, we're in the summer lull, attendance is, you know, it's okay this morning, but often it's, it's low. And I don't want you to look around and get discouraged and think, ah, oh, nothing's happening here. There, there is something happening here. It's just that what happens in the kingdom starts so small and subtly. You know, it may be generations after us that we see what God is doing with the little seeds that we're planting and nurturing now. You know, I hope to be here for decades. I don't know how you can do good pastoral ministry otherwise, but let's say he does give me 50 years. I have no guarantee that I'm going to see massive, like, Dillon's Grove towers to the sky. I, I don't know that I'll ever see that. What, what if it's us, 100, 100 people or so associated with, 120 people associated with the church, you know, usually like these days, 60 to 70 gathered at any one Sunday. What if this is what it is, and he has us out planting these little seeds that we never actually see how they grow? 
And then in heaven, he says, well, here's what I did through you to advance the kingdom. I don't know. Maybe that's how he'll do it. Maybe not. Maybe he will do it differently and we'll get tons of people pouring in. All I know is that we are to seek the kingdom of heaven. That's really all I know. If you and I will seek the kingdom of heaven, the Lord's rule in our life and trying to expand that territory into others' lives by making disciples. If we're faithful to that, we can rest assured that God's kingdom will come, that these kingdom seeds will grow. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. This means that kingdom endeavors do not start large. This means that kingdom endeavors will often feel too small. This means that kingdom endeavors will grow. Now, man, don't, don't look at your watch. We've got plenty of time. When I was a kid, my dad called me into the living room where he was watching something on PBS because he thought I would like it. I liked to draw a lot as a kid. And uh, I actually thought of you, Isaac, and you, Ben, when I was thinking about this illustration. Um, he called me in there, and I was captivated by this. It was a 30-minute program on PBS. It was called The Man Who Planted Trees. And it was uh, an award-winning little animated film of a French book about, as you may have guessed, a man who planted trees. And the animation was this, it's like pencil sketches, but it animated, and it was just brilliant. So I was captivated by it, but the story also stuck with me. It's a simple story of this man who would go for long walks across the countryside every day with a narrow walking stick and sort of a messenger bag over his shoulder. And in the messenger bag were seeds, were tree seeds. In the, in the animation, it looked like little acorns, little, little black seeds. And he would walk a little ways and he would jab a little hole in the ground and he would drop him, he would stoop down and drop him one of those seeds and sort of tamp the ground back over it and he'd keep going. And this was his daily routine. He was the man who planted trees. That's just what he did. Went for long walks planting trees. And I remember the animation showing, you know, he, he died eventually never seeing any result from all that. And it showed this land where he had walked and all, all through his paths, trees began to grow. And eventually it just became this massive forest. Now, he didn't get to see it. I just wonder what we're leaving in our path. We may not get to see the results. But this is the way of the kingdom. God is planting in us and through us. And as we walk our daily route to work and to dinner and our kids' bedtime routines and with our friends and where we go. You know, we take our stick and we take our little messenger bag with the word of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus Christ. And when we see opportunities, we stab a little hole in the ground and we bend down, we put that seed in and we tamp our foot over it. And then we keep moving. That's the way of the kingdom. Now in just a moment, we're going to sing our closing song, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about this song before we do. There's a woman named Catherine Hankey who lived in the 1800s, and she planted a lot of gospel kingdom seeds. She was uh, born into a prosperous British family, and 
She wanted to seek the kingdom, so when she was a teenager, she started Bible studies for people in her sort of stylish suburb of London. And then by 18, she moved out of there to poorer areas and started Bible studies with factory girls, factory women. And she just started Bible studies all through London, and they, they grew and prospered and she really advanced the kingdom in simple ways. And then in her 30s, she got really sick and had to take a year off from all that work and just rest, basically bedridden. And it was in that bed that she wrote these massive poems about Jesus. Two of them were made into famous hymns. One of them is, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. The other one is, I Love to Tell the Story, which is what we're about to sing. So here we are. You know, she, in that sick bed, could not have known you know, that God would work through those words she was writing down to then one day form the words that we're going to sing in worship and form the concluding thought in a sermon about the kingdom. And so as we sing this song, first, consider where you stand with the king. Are you still a rebel sinner who rules your own life, your own little king? Or are you a, a forgiven, adopted citizen of the kingdom with Jesus Christ as your king? Also consider how the kingdom seeds have grown in your life. Who planted those seeds in your life that brought you to Christ? Give thanks for them. And consider how you will seek the kingdom today and this week. What little steps of obedience will you take? What, what little kingdom expansion steps will you take around the people, among the people that you're around? Let me pray for you and I'll invite Sandy to come forward and we'll sing together. Father, thank you for your word and for explaining to us how the kingdom works and for, I'm grateful that you use small seeds and that you've done this in such a gentle, small way. I'm so grateful that Jesus didn't just burst onto the scene as the victorious king and destroy me and us as rebel sinners, but that you've made a way to adopt us in. Lord, help us to be good citizens of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.